Hi, friends. Good to be with you this morning. Let's um, start by praying together. Let me pray for us. Father, we're grateful for um, your mercy and kindness to us in Jesus Christ. We're thankful for um, the opportunity today to um, reflect upon your word together as we prepare for worship this morning. And we ask that you'd be near to us by your spirit. You'll grant us wisdom and grace. And we pray these things through Christ. Amen. Um, well, friends, it's good to be with you today. We are um, concluding a study of First John that we've been uh, started in the spring and have continued on for the first couple weeks this fall. Um, I've really enjoyed going through First John with you, and there's nothing I like more than um, discussing um, the Scripture. So it's great to do that with you um, again this morning. Um, we come to the end of First John today, and as is... Uh, typical of John, he's going to give us some more complex things to think about um, before he wraps up the letter. Um, uh, John John's style continues all throughout. And in the last section here, he's going to hit on some important um, uh, topics again, things that he has talked about before largely, but wants to say more about. Um, he's going to talk about confidence and assurance, what it means to have assurance with God. Um, he's going to talk about prayer and the confidence that we should have in prayer, what it means to wrestle with God in prayer. Um, he talks about uh, life in the community, which is, of course, one of his major themes is life within the community of the church, loving uh, one another. And here, loving one another looks like praying for someone in the community um, who was falling into sin. And, and he says that that kind of prayer uh, will have a good result, that it will lead um, to um, that brother coming back. Um, and then he goes on and assures um, his, believers, his readers that, um, that they are safe from the evil one, um, that Satan, who has been a, a significant theme throughout this letter, um, is not able to touch them. Uh, and then he concludes um, by reminding them of their abiding with Christ, their union with Jesus, um, that, that he is the life, the eternal life of God, and that all, is, all things are given through Christ. And then he ends with this kind of enigmatic um, statement at the end, this warning, uh, little children, keep yourselves from idols. And so we'll move through these different statements one by one. Let me read um, the entire portion here, verses 30, 13 to 21, and then we'll discuss it together. So the Apostle John, by the inspiration of the Spirit, concludes his letter in this way. He says, I write these things to you, who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have towards Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. He who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world 
the power of the evil one. And we know God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep from us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So John begins this final portion of his letter um, by saying, I write these things to you, and there he, I think, is including all of what he's written so far, all of his letter, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So John is saying that what he is writing about in this letter is intended uh, as, he, as, he, as he reflects on the person of Christ, as he reflects on the forgiveness of sin offered in his name, as he reflects on the kind of fruit that is meant to flow uh, from union with Christ, um, as he talks about the need to love your brother, the need to not keep on sinning in ways that lead to death, um, the ways that um, he talks about all these things. He says, I write these things to you that you may know that you have eternal life. Uh, Martin Luther comments on this verse. He says, because eternal life is a difficult mystery, we must treat of it constantly. We must reflect on it, um, study it, think about it constantly in order that we may retain it and grow in faith. It is not like geometry, which suffices once it has been grasped, but these things must be learned assiduously, and it is through tribulations that we must be exercised in learning them. Um, so what Luther's saying there is um, that uh, eternal life is not something that you just sort of master and put behind you as you might um, with uh, you know, middle school mathematics or high school mathematics, um, but it's something that you continue to reflect on and wrestle with all of your life. You're constantly learning and growing in your assurance. And I think that is the kind of thing that, Paul, that John is saying here, um, that he's written these things to you, um, not so that you will sort of arrive at this sort of um, you know, place where you have this sort of um, assurance that is um, no longer something that you are growing in, um, but, but, but to continue to push you forward in that growth and your confidence in your uh, life with God. And, um, and, and he's holding out assurance as a real thing, something that we should aspire to and desire and something we can e experience, um, which I think is helpful um, for us. Uh, we can know, as John says, he wants us to know, um, that we possess, that we have eternal life. But again, how is he doing that? He's doing that through again and again pushing them um, to reflect on their life with Jesus and what it means for them to abide with him. And it is that place where their assurance is coming from as they continue to grow together. Any thoughts or questions about that? This idea of confidence and the knowledge that we have eternal life. Yes, sir. Donovan. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, and but John was saying, you know, 
It's his word, right? It's what God has done in you, for you. Yeah. Yeah, as much as possible as a pastor, I want to push people's, the root of their confidence away from their subjective um, sense of God's presence um, towards objective things that he has given them. Um, the promises he's made to them in baptism, um, the way that he continues to renew his covenant with them through the Lord's Supper, uh, the way that he speaks to them and their word in the word, um, the way that I as a pastor can observe the fruit of their life, especially over a number of years. Um, you know, these are all reasons, I think, places where we're meant to derive confidence from rather than, yeah, our kind of subjective sense of, of Yeah. Right. We do need to be reminded. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we need that word that comes from outside of us um, to declare to us who we are in Christ. And I think that's what I think that's what the church is for um, uh, to do that. I think that's what pastors are for um, to do that. Um, anything else? All right, let me continue on. Let's talk about prayer. I imagine we're going to have some things to talk about here. So um, John says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that is toward the Son of God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Um, Calvin comments on this verse and he, the passage. He says, let us hold fast this statement of the apostles that the chief trial of our faith is calling upon God and that we do not rightly and faithfully call upon him unless we are completely convinced that our prayers will not be in vain. So Calvin, I think, rightly is reflecting the idea that John is trying to give us confidence in our prayer. And actually, it's through our prayers that we wrestle with God and grow in our faith. It is a trial of our faith. It is a way we express our faith. Um, Calvin then says, although God has promised to do whatever his people ask, he does not permit them the unbridled liberty of asking whatever comes into their heads, but has laid down for them a law of proper prayer. And indeed, nothing is more useful for us than this bridle. For if each of us were allowed to ask what he liked, and if God indulged our wishes, it would be in our worst interests, right? If God was some kind of genie in a lamp, so to speak, um, and we um, called him up and we had three wishes, um, you know, if you're familiar with those stories, right, those, they don't go well, right? People end up wishing for things that are terrible for them, and um, it, it, it's, it's not, a, it's not, those aren't good stories um, in the, the myth and folklore um, of human culture, and, and rightly so, um, because that's a dangerous thing. It would be in our worst interest. I think that's a really f fascinating thing that Calvin says here, and for us to really think about. For if each of us were allowed to ask what he liked, and if God indulged our wishes, it would be in our worst interests. How many times have we begged and prayed um, from God for something, and then realized, you know, a decade later, oh, it was really good that he did not uh, give me that. Um, that would have been really bad. Um, that would have not been uh, for my good. Um, and even I, um, in my flesh, 10 years later, can look back and say, oh, okay, you know, I understand now. 
Now, of course, I'm not saying that's true for all of the prayer requests that we have that aren't answered, but I, I do think that that is true for many of them, um, that often we can, even from our own limited human perspective, look back and say, oh, okay, uh, that would have been in our worst interest. Um, Calvin goes on, he says, for we do not know what is for the best. I mean, and he's there, you know, as Calvin often does, is wrestling with that creator-creature distinction and that God has a different kind of wisdom and perspective than we do. But God supplies a twofold remedy, he says, lest we should pray outside of the command of his will. He teaches us in his word what he wants us to ask and has also set over us his spirit as our leader and ruler. We should also ask the mouth of the Lord to direct our prayers, for as has been said, God has appointed for us in his promises the legitimate way of praying. Um, so a couple of things to say here. Um, Calvin talks about God having taught us in his word what to pray for, and I think that's really something that's worth considering and thinking about. Um, he has done this, of course, descriptively um, in a lot of ways in the narratives, and we see uh, prayers being offered and answered um, in the narratives of the scriptures. Um, uh, but he, and he's done this descriptively, I think, in the Psalms in terms of, you know, we see the psalmist praying for all sorts of things. And he's done this prescriptively for us, of course, um, through our Lord Jesus, who, when his disciples um, said, Lord, teach us to pray, um, he didn't say, well, here are some principles for prayer um, that you should keep in mind. You know, here um, are some uh, theological illustrations of prayer. No, he said, when you pray, say this, right? He gave them a, pray, a prayer to repeat after him, um, to say verbatim um, that he wanted them to pray for. And so he said, uh, pray that God's name would be hallowed. Uh, pray that God's um, kingdom would come and that his will would be done on earth as is in heaven. Uh, pray that God would give you your daily bread. Pray that God would forgive you your sins as you forgive those who sin against you. Pray that God would keep you from temptation and protect you from evil and that um, you, would, you would be a, you know, praise him in his kingdom and power and glory forever. So Jesus teaches us there what to pray for, I think Calvin is saying. And that's meant to, to serve as a kind of guide, a kind of uh, bridle for us um, as we think about prayer. He also says we've been given the gift of the Spirit. Um, who teaches us, as Paul reflects on in Romans, um, what to pray for and how to pray. Um, in Romans 8, he talks about that. Um, so those are some things to think about as we wrestle with what John is saying here. And I think that's um, the, these ideas of the Lord. The Lord teaches us what to pray for. Um, he teaches us to pray according to his will. And I think according to his will there doesn't necessarily just mean you know, in terms of his secret decreto will, but his revealed will. What is it that God um, has shown us that he wills for us? What are the promises he has actually made? And it's important to remember that God, <clears throat> I mean, God has not, friends, made us a great deal of particular promises in terms of the circumstances of our lives, right? Um, he's not promised us um, children or um, spouses or grandchildren or um, certain amount of wealth or um, a certain kind of, um, you know, social life that we might want. Um, he hasn't pr promised us a kind of house, like whatever, right? All these things are not specific promises that God has made to us, but he has made specific promises. He 
He's made promises of eternal life. He's made promises of the forgiveness of our sins. He's made promises regarding our resurrection from the dead. Um, he's made promises about his continual presence with us. Like all of these things are promises that he has made. And those are things that we can certainly <clears throat> ask him to do and, he, and be confident that he will do. Um, and that's not to say we shouldn't pray for any of those other things that we might be concerned about, <clears throat> but we have to wrestle with um, this reality um, of, of what he teaches us to pray for uh, fundamentally. Yeah, Eric. Like, what does it mean to pray continually? Yeah. Is that what you're asking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I would say um, that certainly Calvinists should pray continually. <laughs> uh, that's not something we should, we should uh, you know, <clears throat> relinquish to other um, parts of the church without wanting to embrace it ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think, I think some of this comes down to personality, and, um, and I do think there's some, you know, differences there, which are fine. Just people are different. Um, I will say that certainly in my own life, I seek to foster a kind of continual prayer life. Now, by that, I don't mean, of course, that I'm praying 24-7. Um, that's, I think, you know, not possible in a kind of explicit way, um, not that we're not communing with God. And of course, there is one who does pray for us 24-7 um, without interruption or 
growing weary, and that's our Lord. And so I think we, we commune with him in prayer, and he prays for us um, in a way that is continual, um, the way that we can never achieve fully. Um, but I do, you know, I mean, you know, my life is one that's marked by patterns of morning and evening prayer um, in explicit ways, um, as well as um, just kind of continual asking God for help, um, in even my own internal dialogue. And, you know, when I drive, I often um, listen to uh, music, you know, without um, lyrics, so often classical or choral music, um, or I'm just driving silence. And those, those times are often, like, it's very rare that I'm not engaging with God in some way in that. And I, I think that's the kind of thing that we're called to do. Um, you know, we're, we're called to continually be in his presence and, and pray to him. Um, and I, I think that looks like different things for different people. I mean, some of that is, for me, has been memorizing short phrases of scripture that you can go back to, right? Um, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Um, keep me, O Lord, as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wings. Um, little phrases like that, even just the Lord's Prayer. Um, there's no reason that any of us shouldn't pray the Lord's Prayer two or three times a day, right? It takes 15 seconds. Um, so I, I don't know if that's answering your question, Eric, but I certainly want to hold out, and I think Calvin would hold out, and if you look at his ministry and his life, he would have continual practices of prayer himself, um, engaging with the Lord. Yeah, James. Mm -hmm. what the Lord's will would be um, or where God may have a different will as long as we have that agenda in our hearts. Yes, that submissive posture. Yes, absolutely. I fully affirm what you're saying, James, and please don't, anything I'm saying here, don't take as meaning that we should not cry out to God for the things that we desire. Um, and I, I think that's certainly something that prayer is and should be and must be. And I, you know, last Advent a year ago, I preached a four-part sermon series on prayer, and one of the things I really emphasized was praying for big things, praying for things that seem impossible, praying for things that 
um, that we desire and that God hasn't yet given us. And this idea of persistence in prayer is one that our Lord Jesus talks about on multiple occasions um, as true faith means persistence in prayer. And friends, if you're going to persist in prayer, what, what, what's implied by that, right? That God hasn't given you the thing that you're asked for, because why else would you be persisting and asking for it, right, if he had given it to you? Um, and that's something worth reflecting on and thinking about, that certainly one of the reasons that God doesn't do the things we want him to do as quickly as we want him to do them is because he wants us to grow in our faith. He wants us to grow in our trust in him and to wrestle with him in that way. Um, a, a couple things to think about. Um, another, another verse to think about here is in Psalm uh, what, 37. Um, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will grab you the desires of your heart. Right? That's, and there's so much, right? Um, part of that, I think, means that as we delight ourselves in the Lord, our desires become conformed to his. And, and there's a process of that that happens over time. It can't be an immediate thing. But that certainly is a concept that I think is important for us as we think about what it means to pray faithfully. Um, that as we delight ourselves in the Lord, he does give us the desires of our heart. But our desires of our heart, I think, conform more and more um, to his. Um, also, just to point you towards some of these resources in our larger catechism. The larger catechism in 178, this on your handout, says, What is prayer? And answers, prayer is offering up of our desires unto God. I mean, that's just a phenomenal phrase, I think. That prayer is the offering up, right? The, the giving, the handing over um, of our desires to God. Um, we are offering up the, the things that are in our hearts and we're giving them over to the Lord. And that is what prayer is. And I, I just love that image, that wording even, offering up, like we're, we're, we're relinquishing them to some extent and putting them in God's hands. I think that's a beautiful way to think about prayer. And 182 talks about how does the Spirit help us pray? Um, we not knowing what to pray for as we ought, which is something that the Scripture affirms, um, the Spirit helps our infirmities, right? Paul talks about this in Romans 8. The Spirit helps our infirmities by enabling us to understand both for whom and what and how prayer is to be made, and by working and quickening in our hearts, although not in all persons nor at all times in the same measure, those apprehensions, affections, and graces which are requisite for the right performance of that duty. I think what the catechism is saying there, among other things, is that um, prayer is like anything else. You learn to do it over time as you do it, right? You can't learn to pray, I'm sorry to say, by reading books on prayer. Um, that might be helpful. Um, but really, you only learn to pray by praying, by wrestling, um, by going to the Lord. And, and what the catechism is that this actually is promised to help us to, to grow our uh, work and quicken in our hearts um, those apprehensions, affections, and graces which are requ requisite the right performance of the duty of prayer. So as we pray, the Spirit prays with us um, and in us, um, the Spirit of Jesus, and we learn to pray in union with him. We learn to pray more and more in submission to his will. And I think that's something that's worth thinking about. Um, finally, in um, the back page, there's this prayer of John Christostom. I don't know if he actually wrote it or not, um, but it's said that he did. Um, this is a prayer that we use every uh, Wednesday and Friday at the end of morning prayer um, here um, at our church. Um, the pastor 
says, Almighty God, you have given us grace at this time with one accord to make our common supplications to you. And you have promised through your well-beloved son that when two or three are gathered together in his name, you will grant their requests. Right? Jesus says, if two or three you gathered, whatever you bind on earth, we bound, etc. Um, Fulfill now, O Lord, our desires and petitions as may be best for us, granting us in this world knowledge of your truth and the age to come life everlasting. I love that prayer because I think it holds on to the two tensions in prayer, which one of which is that God has made remarkable promises about fulfilling prayer, um, doing what we ask, giving us things that we ask for, um, while also the other pole of ultimately it's his will, he's, he's the one who is sovereign, and we submit to him and entrust our desires to him that he might give us and fulfill our prayers according to what is best for us, um, which, which only he knows. Um, only he knows what that um, what qualifies for that. And I love the, the, you know, it ends, give us the things that we know that you have promised to give us. In this world, knowledge of your truth, and in the age to come, life everlasting. The Lord is going to do that for us. Um, any other, I know we could talk prayer forever, but anything else? Yeah, Derwin. Absolutely. Yeah. Keep us from temptation. Protect us from evil. Deliver us from the evil one. Absolutely. All right. I'm going to keep going because we got a lot to cover still. But uh, I think hopefully they're giving you some things to think about um, regarding praying, praying according to God's will, all of those things. All right. Verse 16 and 17. John says, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Okay, now what is going on here? Um, what is the sin that does not lead to death, and what is the sin that leads to death, right? We should want to be uh, cognizant of these things because um, we don't want to sin in that latter way. Um, if we're going to sin, we want to sin in a way that doesn't lead to death. Um, you know, like this is important. Um, yeah, so, so here, here's what I would say. I think that um, <clears throat> um, sin that doesn't lead to death is sin that, as John has talked about at some length in his epistle already, is sin that is confessed, right? Sin that is acknowledged, um, sin that is brought before God and then therefore atoned for and forgiven by God. Um, walk in the light, John says in chapter one, um, as God is in the light. Um, and do you need something, Tony? Oh, is that locked over there? Yeah. Yep, it's okay. Um, 
sorry. Um, so yes, so um, so so sin that does not lead sin that is confessed and that is atoned for, forgiven. Um, whereas sin that leads to death, I think, is not some sort of like thing you might be like, oh, oh no, I've done the thing that leads to death, and now I'm, it's over or whatever. Um, sin that leads to death is hard-hearted, high-handed, unconfessed sin. Um, I think this is similar um, to Jesus's teaching regarding um, uh, sin against the Holy Spirit, which for which there is no forgiveness. Jesus says in the Gospels. Um, I don't take that to be against uh, to be some sort of discrete act that we can commit, but rather that is a, a failure um, to uh, listen to and and respond to the witness of the Spirit as He testifies to the veracity of Jesus's claims to be the Son of God. So blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is rejecting the voice of the Spirit um, and, and is a rejection of God entirely. And that's why it can't be forgiven. It's not some sort of you know, thing that you might do that then God can't forgive you for. Um, and in the similar way, the sin that leads to death here is sin that is unconfessed and that is um, where you are in a place of rebellion and hard-heartedness against God and remain in that place. Um, that's, that's how I would parse out these things. And Calvin says, um, uh, well, one thing to emphasize here, Calvin says, now the apostle exhorts us to mutually care for the salvation of one another. And I think that's really something interesting. Um, John says, if you see someone committing sin that doesn't lead to death, you should pray for him and God will give him life. And this is, I think, connected to that teaching on prayer, right? Part of uh, what we should be praying for is, is one another. Um, that the Lord would forgive our sins, that the Lord would keep us from wandering from him, um, that God would, would be merciful um, to our Christian brother, to our Christian sister. I don't know how we pray that way, but I think, according to John, we should. Um, we should pray that God uh, would be merciful um, to so-and-so, uh, um, even as we see and hear maybe about or observe patterns of sin in their life. And we should pray for the Lord and to grant them repentance and forgiveness. Um, but John also says, there, when someone is sinning in a way that leads to death, you should not pray for him. Um, don't pray for him. And I think, that, I don't think that means that people who, you know, apostatize um, entirely um, and, or rebel against the Lord, uh, we should just simply stop praying for them. But there, there, is, there, are, there do come times when someone is so hard-hearted and under the judgment of God um, that we should give them over to that judgment. Um, for example, in the scriptures, I've quoted here three times um, that God tells Jeremiah to stop praying for Jerusalem. Um, this is when the, the Babylonian threat is rising uh, and, and you know, Jerusalem has fallen, Judah has fallen into um, wickedness um, to the extent that God is going to judge them. And, and Jeremiah is their prophet, and he, you know, he's torn up about this. He doesn't want judgment to come to some extent. Um, and so he intercedes with God or seeks to, and God three times says, stop. Stop praying for Jerusalem. Stop praying um, that my judgment won't come uh, because it's, it's going to come. Uh, this is where things are at. Um, and, and how do we know when people get to that place? I, you know, I don't know. I think that's a hard question. Um, but I, I, do think, I do think he's saying that there are times when people harden so much that, that we should, we should um, let, let them put them into the Lord's hands. Yeah, James. I don't even 
Sure. Yeah. Sure. Like right. Maybe that will be their path to sure. No, that makes sense. Yeah. Jeremy. Because mm-hmm. it's also like a personal thing. It's like it's like him praying for the for the church to be forgiven in church life. It's also himself being overlooked in personal things. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I think that's right, Jeremy. And, and, um, and I mean, I think this verse speaks to the way in which our perseverance in our Christian life is um, not something that we do on our own, um, but we do it, of course, in union with Jesus, but also in communion with one another. Um, and in some extent, our, our continuing to run the race and be faithful and persistent in our faith is dependent upon other people um, and their Christian life, and their prayers, and their faithfulness, um, which is, you know, maybe a little terrifying for some of us, um, but I think that's how the scriptures speak, and it, it should impress upon us um, uh, our own responsibility toward one another, right, that other people are counting on us, um, that our life matters before God, not only for our own sake, but for not, and not just for the sake of our spouse or our children, um, but but for our Christian brother or sister, um, our life with God counts for their sake. And certainly, friends, you know this. You know that people who have um, turned away um, from the faith and rejected it um, have impacted you negatively um, when that's happened, and particularly if they're people that you trusted or respected or who were um, you were dependent upon in some way. This is a big deal. And, and 
just the opposite, you know that where there have been bastions of faith and perseverance and, and confidence in God um, that have been close to you, that you have known, your faith has been strengthened. And th- this is the way that God works. And it's something for us really to wrestle with, I think. Um, this is why Paul talks about don't give up gathering together and provoking one another for good works, right? We come to church each Lord's Day, not just because God tells us um, that we must, that we need to obey him by gathering before him in assembly, um, but because it's how we love our neighbor, right? Uh, to love our neighbor means that they need our presence, they need our voice, they need our, um, our words um, in worship. Um, so all of these things um, matter. I also just say that I, like, I actually pray in this way for you all um, regularly. I regularly pray that God today, will you, our congregation, um, will you keep our people from sin? Um, and when they sin, will you be gracious and forgive them? Um, and will you protect them? Um, because I know that you're like me, like we're, we're, we're all sinning, right? <laughs> um, all the time, every day. Um, but there is sin that does not lead to death, and that's the kind of sin I want us to be, for the Lord to keep us in. And this is the way we can pray for each other. You can pray that way for your children, for your spouse, for your friends, for your, you know, whoever it might be. But pray that the Lord, you know, would, would be gracious to them in their sin, that he would forgive them, that he would um, keep them from hard-heartedness, from um, wandering away, kinds of things. All right, so good stuff to think about there. <clears throat> else about that before we wrap up the last few verses here praying for one another in our sin yeah Sam Sure. This isn't happening, and then does that change the way we pray? Um, it does not change the way we pray. I think we should pray for things that we desire, if they're good things um, that God is. And certainly, praying for children, praying for a spouse, praying for um, the Lord to bless us in those kinds of ways are good things to pray for. Um, I don't think we stop. Clearly, God doesn't always give us those things. Um, and that is something that is part of the hidden mystery of the will of God um, for us um, in the world, that he does not, you know, God does not, he is very clearly not fair in the way that we describe fairness often, right? He gives to one person um, all of these things, and another person he gives none of these things. And... um, Ultimately, he does that because he has the authority to do it, um, and he knows what's best for us. He knows what's good for us. Um, And I I mean, the things you're talking about are some of the most, as I work with people as a pastor, painful, unanswered prayers that people carry, right? Uh, For children, for a spouse, um, for those kinds of things. And I don't have any good answer in terms of like, oh, here's why. Right, that just doesn't exist. That kind of knowledge isn't available to me. Yeah, but that's the part that's why you is the not knowing why or knowing why Jesus. Like going through scripture, you can read the Bible cover to cover, but then sometimes 
Yeah, and of course, people try to fill in reasons, right? right? You, you know, Christians will tell one another um, wrongly, but they might tell one another. The reason why is because you don't have faith, right? Or the reasons why is because you're, you're not, you know, doing enough stuff for the Lord or, you, you know, whatever. And I, I really, I think that's unwise. I think it's unwise for us to try to, the Lord doesn't answer those questions ultimately, um, at least in this life. Um, but what I do try to convey to people is that God is faithful. God is good. You can know this because he's revealed himself to you and his son, Jesus Christ, who has died for you. Um, and, and you can trust him. And what it means for you to walk faithfully with God is to trust him. And the reality, too, is that all of us, every single person, has unanswered prayers. Like, there is no, there's no special case here. Now, I'm not saying that some people's unanswered prayers aren't more painful than others. That's true. But everyone, everyone lives with this tension um, who walks with God. You, I mean, I have places, of course, where there are unanswered prayers in my life. Um, and the, the same is true for all of us. So that's something to remember, too, that part of this is what it means to live in the broken world, in a world that has fallen, um, that all of us live in tension um, with this dynamic. Yeah, James. Sure. Yeah, of course. Other, right. Other ways that people are being fruitful and multiplying, and then Paul was unmarried when he came to speak those those who um, <clears throat> preach the gospel to as your spiritual children. Sure. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, no disagreement there. Absolutely. Yeah, that's definitely true. All right. So these last few verses here, um, eighteen to twenty-one. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Um, this, friends, is a precious promise to you from your Lord, that everyone who has been born of God is protected um, by the one who is, capital B, born of God, right? The only begotten Son of God. Um, your Lord Jesus Christ protects you, and the evil one cannot touch you. Um, you are safe um, from uh, the, the, the stratagems, the, the attacks, the assaults of the devil. Um, and this is, doesn't mean we shouldn't pray for that safety. We should, but there's also this promise um, that God protects us from the evil one if we belong to his son Jesus. Um, we are safe with him, and that's something to cling to and hold on to. Um, we live in a world where there is, um, where Satan is real and the demonic realm is real, so to speak, in the, in the sense that demons are real and they wish us harm. Um, um, and yet, um, with Christ, we are safe. Um, God protects him, those who are born of God, and the evil one does not touch him. I think that's something for us to cling to. It's a precious promise. And then finally, John says, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. I mean, I love that. That is the whole doctrine of the incarnation. Um, John, remember, in, in his gospel, chapter 1 says, no one has ever seen God, um, but the one who is at God's side, um, he has made him known. Um, 
the Son of God came, among other reasons, to reveal the fullness of the heart of God um, for us in a, in a full way, in a way that was not complete without the incarnation, without the revelation of the character of God. So if you want to know who God is, read the Gospels. That's why there are four of them, um, to give you um, as multi-perspective uh, as possible. Um, the Son of God has come that you might have understanding, uh, you might have knowledge of who God is, um, and that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true. He is the true revelation of God, right? As, again, uh, going back to that first chapter, um, um, he is grace and truth, um, as John says, <clears throat> in his son, Jesus Christ. He that is Christ, um, the one who is at the bosom or the side of the Father, who has come to make the Father known. He is the true God and eternal life. Again, just love that. Jesus is not just the one who gives us eternal life. He is eternal life. Um, he is um, in himself um, life that is without end. And he shares that life with us through our union with him. Again, see um, that language. We are in him, um, John says. We are in Christ, right? We are in the one who is true and his son, Jesus. And then he closes with this warning. Um, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Um, of course, idolatry, as you read the Old Testament, um, is the great sin of Israel, um, worshiping other gods, um, which the reason they did that, of course, was because they wanted their prayers answered. Um, so that may be how some of this relates. Um, and there were, there were promises that idols made, that if you did the right ritual, if you cut yourself in the right way, if you did the right weird sex thing, um, you would get good crops and you would get children and you would get whatever it was that you wanted. Um, if you just hit the buttons the right way, um, this is what would take place. Um, and so John is saying, don't do that, right? Don't engage with the world that way. Um, and, and his immediate context, right, there were people who were pagans. I mean, I, you know, idol worship was happening in the Roman world, um, of course, and some of these people were, you know, certainly former um, idol worshipers. Um, but also, I think he's telling us something today that we need to wrestle with, because we live in a world, friends, where promises are made to us that if you just do the right thing, these things will happen to you, right? These things will take place. Um, if you orient your life the right way, if you you know, get the right kind of education, if you do the right kinds of workout, whatever it is, um, invest your money. You know, it, there's a whole way to live that's like that. Um, and what John is saying is don't, don't believe that. Don't give yourself over to that. Um, God is more wonderful and more complex and, more, and better um, than you manipulating the world to gain your desires. Um, I think we're going to have to close in interest of time, but this is a good conversation. Um, would love to chat with these things more if there are questions. Let's stand and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for First John. We thank you for the richness of this epistle. I pray that you would grant us wisdom as we continue to reflect upon it and listen to it and think about it, Lord. Um, I pray that you would grant us um, the kind of confidence that John describes here, that we are those who have eternal life, um, that we are those who abide in your son Jesus, and that he truly has shown us um, who you actually are. Um, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.